40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm coming to get you. How does that make you feel when somebody says that to you? I'm coming to get you. Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on what the situation is. It depends on who's saying it and what you're doing, who you are. If you've just abducted somebody's daughter and that person happens to be a highly trained spy or, or, or military person and that person's on the phone with you and says, I'm coming to get you, then that should strike fear into your heart. But if you're the daughter and you're in trouble, somebody's trying to harm you, and you call your dad, and your dad says, I'm coming to get you. That's not fear. That's relief that you feel. Now, as we come towards Christmas, and we look at texts speaking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same dynamic is at work. He is coming, is the theme, the growing theme in the Old Testament. He is coming. And what his coming means to you depends on who you are. For the enemies of God, the coming of the Messiah should strike fear into the very core of their being. But for the people of God, the coming of the Messiah is great comfort. Now, both of those, judgment on the enemies and salvation for God's people, both of those are part of the good news that the church is called to trumpet aloud. Just before our text, verse 9, the church, Zion, is instructed, go up at a high mountain, herald of good news, preach it. Preach the coming of the Messiah. Preach the judgment of God's enemies. Preach the salvation of God's people. Preach the gospel, the good news, that God is coming. You see, judgment and salvation are two sides of the same coin. They must, they will, they are always coming together. Look at Isaiah 63, if you have your Bible still handy. Isaiah 63, verse 4. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, says God, and my year of redemption had come. Vengeance and redemption, judgment and salvation. That's what the coming of God means. And so in our text, did you notice as we read through our text, verse 10, as the flavor of judgment. He comes with might. And then verse 11, as the flavor of salvation. He comes to gather the lambs. Now, our text begins with that word behold there in verse 10. Behold, in other words, pay attention, look. 
the Lord God, Yahweh, the covenant God, Elohim, the powerful, all-supreme God, Yahweh, Elohim, comes with might and his arm rules for him. He comes with power and glory. He comes to judge. Look back in Isaiah 63, if you still have your Bible, honey. And now verse 5. I looked, says God, and there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. See it again, salvation and wrath together. God sees that there is no solution. There is no savior for his people. There's no way out. So now he will do it. He comes with might and his arm rules for him. This is the good news. There is no other hope. There is no other recourse. All is lost unless God will come to save his people. And there we have the word behold again in the second part of verse 10. Behold, his reward is with him. Pay attention. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. Pay attention, says the church. It's payback time. It is the day of vengeance. Now we know the big picture. We know the cosmic story. The great prince comes to slay the dragon which has captured his bride. And that cosmic story plays out in Israel's history. God is promising to come to bring his people back from exile and to repay Israel's enemies for all the harm and the destruction that they have perpetrated on the apple of his eye, on his beloved church. And he comes with recompense. See that word there at the end of verse 10? He comes with recompense. The word can just mean wages, pay, as in, the wages of sin is death. And that's what every nation and every individual can expect. If you turn to Isaiah 59 for a moment. Isaiah 59, we'll be looking at verses 14 through to 19. God looks at the situation. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the public squares. Uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. God sees that, and it displeased him. There was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. There's no Savior. There's no Messiah. Then, look, at, look again at verse 16, the end. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He's coming to save, he's coming to judge. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God's not just coming for a polite visit to have a cup of tea. God is coming as a king who is angry with a righteous anger and who will set things right. Look at verse 18 of chapter 59. 
According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. It's payback time. He will render repayment. But then look at verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Payback for those who love evil. But a great reward for those who love God. That's the reward that is with him. That God comes to his people. That God is with his people, Emmanuel. He is the reward. Didn't he say that to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15? He said, Abraham, fear not. I am your shield, your very great reward. And so what is terror to God's enemies is joyful relief for God's people. The Lord comes to judge the world with righteousness to repay everyone according to what they have done. To pay back every man, woman, and child for every thought, for every word, and for every action. And when the wicked hear that, they tremble if they know what's good for them. But when God's people hear that, they say, bring it on. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, because we know the gospel of chapter 40, verse 2, that he has spoken comfort to Jerusalem, that he has spoken tenderly to us, that he has cried out to us that our warfare is ended, that our iniquity is pardoned, and that we have, our sins are more than dealt with. And so we know who is coming? God's people await not an implacable judge, but a loving shepherd. That's verse 11, isn't it? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. Now, in ancient times, kings were often seen as shepherds guiding the people like a flock. In fact, in the tomb of Tutankhamun, he is depicted as holding a shepherd's crook, that special shepherd's staff. And you remember we sang just before the sermon, Psalm 80, and it begins speaking about God as Israel's shepherd. The mighty king is at the same time a gentle shepherd that takes care of his people like a flock. And God will tend his flock like a shepherd. And in the immediate context here of Isaiah's prophecy, that means that God will gently lead his people back home from exile, back to the promised land. And so Isaiah is saying, even before the exile happens, he's already prophesying of the return. Isaiah is saying to those people in the future, suffering and, and crying out to God in their exile, Isaiah is saying, he is coming to get you. But it's not just return from exile, is it? We know 
that the prophecies in Scripture have all these layers that get deeper and deeper and richer and richer and greater and more glorious because they all point to and are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the real enemy of God's people, not the Edomites or the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the real enemy of God's people is, is sin and the kingdom of darkness. And so we have throughout the entire Old Testament, also in our chapter here, the longing for Christmas. The longing for the coming of the great king who will destroy the powers of darkness and save his people from sin. That's the longing of God's people in the Old Testament. And that longing was satisfied. It was fulfilled because he came. And he came to destroy that ancient enemy, the devil, and to set his people free. And he came with terrible vengeance and great power to destroy all the works of darkness and the very power of sin and death and to triumph over all of the powers of darkness on the cross. And he came to save his people. What did he say when he was here? He said, I am the good shepherd. And he gathered the lambs in his arms. The disciples were sending the little kids away. The Lord Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And that little girl that had died, he said to her, little girl, rise up. He came as the good shepherd to save men and women and little children from sin and from death. Now, how did he do that? Well, he had to come and get us. He had to come to where we were, in the abyss, in the darkness, in the grip of death itself. And so he was made man. He became like one of us so that he could be led to the slaughter like a lamb. So that like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The good shepherd came and laid down his life for the sheep. He died the death so that we might live the life. He suffered the rejection so that we might be embraced. Child of God, that's who your Savior is, the good shepherd who comes to get you. He's not able to be stopped by anything. There is no abyss so deep that your good shepherd cannot reach you. There's no darkness so dark that the light of the world cannot find you but he will gather you in his arms. He will hold you close, and he will bring you home. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to forget about you or leave you behind. In fact, he will leave the 99 sheep and go after the one that is lost until he finds it, and when he finds it, when he has found it, he will lay it on his shoulders rejoicing and there will be joy on earth and there will be joy, more joy yet in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Child of God, do we see our lostness? Do we understand the depth of the abyss into which we have been plunged? It is only when we call to him, when we cry out to him from the depth, when from the depth we sinners cry, have mercy on us, Jesus, that we can expect him to come to us, to rescue us, to carry us in his arms, to lead us by still waters, to restore our souls, and to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, and to bring us back home. God said that he would come. And he did. He came way back there in the 6th century BC and he brought his people back to the promised land. He came in the 1st century and delivered his people from slavery to sin and death. And he will come again. Don't we confess that every Sunday? He will come again to judge the living and the dead. If you have your Bible handy, look at Revelation 22. Verse 12. Revelation 22, 12. One of the very last things that the Lord Jesus says to us at the end of Scriptures. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. What is Jesus saying to us? He is saying, I am coming to get you. And he will repay everyone for what he has done. And that is terror for the world because the wages of sin is death. And that is greater terror for the worldly and unbelieving church member. Because the scripture says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the enemies. And so if you're in the church and your heart is cold and your life is worldly and all you are is a facade of Christianity, then unless you repent, there is only a fearful expectation of judgment when you hear those words from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am coming to get you. But for believers, it is comfort and it is joy. Joy because sin and death and the devil are destroyed forever. Joy because we will be judged according to what we have done. And what we have done is what Christ has done. We will be judged according to Christ's righteousness and declared acceptable and beloved in him. Joy, because every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Joy, because we will be reunited with the little lambs whom God has taken to himself. Joy, because we receive the reward that Christ has won for us. We receive the crown of life everlasting, and we enter into the banqueting hall of the great king and the good shepherd with open arms says, 
welcome home. Amen.